Welcome to our social landscape. In anticipation of the 2020 election next week, I spoke with a few friends and a few strangers to hear their thoughts and predictions about the election. David Jaffe is a professor of sociology at the University of North Florida. And I asked him if he thought this election was more significant than previous elections. It seems to me that it is, but I also realize that all elections might seem like the most important election at the time. So maybe this one's no different. Over happy hour beers at European Street Cafe, he took the opportunity to provide a little historical referencing. Um, so do you think this is a bigger election? Well, you know, every every uh, four years they say, is this the most important election in history right, and you right. really got to vote and this is a pivotal historical moment. And so, you know, people get tired of that because they've heard it every time. Uh, the other thing, you know, that happens is Democrat wins, Republican wins for the vast majority of working people. Nothing really significantly changes. Uh, so they're cynical and they're alienated and they're rationally withdrawn, I think rationally withdrawn from politics. Okay. Uh, I don't like to vote shame people. If people don't want to vote, um, sometimes that's actually a political act. Yeah. And other times it's just, you know, why should I spend my time and energy um, voting uh, if uh, there's no significant difference ultimately, you know, mm -hmm. between the candidates? And I think Obama created uh, enormous amounts of cynicism <laughs> about the system because of the expectation that Obama was going to fundamentally address all of the issues that gave rise to the crisis okay. of 2007, 2008. And it turned out he didn't really, his rhetoric was one thing. I think people tended to project onto Obama all kinds of wishes uh, that probably were unrealistic or weren't even, uh, didn't even conform really with his, his own history as a politician or even the stuff that he wrote. Um, but it was a critical moment, it was a crisis moment, and people thought this is going to be FDR, you know, the new New Deal. Yeah. Uh, that turned off a lot of people. So, uh, from the Democratic Party, particularly, or just, you know, working people who said, okay, well, we had Bush, we had Obama, uh, nothing's changed, uh, fuck it, uh, I'm going to vote for somebody really outside the mainstream, yeah. and that's Trump. I think there was a lot of that. Um, and then the other side of that was that you had people in the Democratic Party who were not going to support the uh, corporate uh, centrist establishment, and they went for Bernie. Uh, so, you know, the, the people who supported Bernie... Uh, still doing okay over here, guys? Yep, we're doing good. So are we doing just uh, one round for each of y'all? No, we'll probably have a second. Second round? A second one, yeah, gotcha. thank you. So I might just transfer y'all over to South because it's like almost shift change. You're leaving? All right. Yeah, no, you can bring us, uh, well, just put our second one in and then bring us the thing. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, bring us a check. Yeah. Well, Were we going to be all together or separate? Yeah, put it together. Together? I didn't, don't so want you guys cool. to feel rushed or anything. No, I just no, want to let y'all know. No, that's fine. Gotcha. Yeah, thank you. All right, so the people Okay, that, like, yeah, so, so you had uh, the Sanders people. And um, once Sanders dropped out, uh, you had all these people who, first of all, I think that was all designed by the Democratic establishment. And so clearly, um, you know, there's lots of ways you can react to that. and You can be pissed off and angry and resentful. But the one thing you shouldn't do, and a lot of people did this, was automatically, right, right off the bat, once Biden was obviously going to be the candidate, uh, they turned to all these uh, Bernie supporters and basically said, well... You're going to get on the bandwagon, right? And, of course, at that point, they said, 
why would I support somebody who represents exactly why I supported Sanders in the first place? Right, exactly. You know, so... Oh, I didn't mean Alrighty, it. Alrighty, you guys. Sorry. You guys have a great rest okay, of y'all's day. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't really want it, man. No, because it gets warm as hell. It's going to get warm. Okay. I'm going to do a lot of editing on this one. No, that's fine. Uh, I'm going to yeah. put ice in it. Okay. Um, so, you know, that was very counterproductive. Now, I... Myself, as a leftist, uh, am totally opposed to that wing of the Democratic Party. I'm a Democratic Socialist. So, you know, my view is, you know, Bernie represented the most significant, fundamentally sound candidate consistent with my political ideological beliefs in, in, my, in the history of my involvement with politics, well, conventional politics. Well, that's right. Like I mean, in terms of the Democratic Party. Yeah, right. I mean, I started with McGovern when I was in high school. Okay, you know how that turned out. Okay. You might say that I support losers. <laughs> and I do, because I'm on the fringe. So this but, is not the biggest election of our lifetime. No, no. However, okay, um, I did... Um, I know how people on the left feel about this election. And so uh, I did write something that I posted on my blog, and I think I posted it on Facebook. And it was basically... You know, how can we approach this election from the left and support Biden? You know, how do we sort of reconcile this? How do we rationalize it? You know, what's the framework we use to, to, to do that? Because none of us really support Biden. We don't support that part of the, um, of the Democratic Party. So what I was trying to argue was, uh, okay, if we're leftists, if we're Democratic Socialists, we have obviously a vision about the kind of society we want to live in. We're nowhere close to that vision. So let's consider how we get there and what are the obstacles in the way. And if you put it in that context, clearly uh, the first obstacle is Donald Trump and the Trump administration. Not only because of their policies, but because of the potential authoritarian neo-fascist tendencies, which could result in really repressive action against leftists, sure. you know? Sure. I mean, it's possible. Uh, and there ain't a lot of people that are going to come to our aid, you know? <laughs> so we have to think about that. So it's a necessary but not sufficient condition. That was the point I was trying to make. Okay. Think about this strategically. There's My friend Pete works in the banking industry in Jacksonville, Florida. I don't think it's necessarily more important than other elections. I think because of the polarization, it might kind of seem that way. And I remember, you know, with, with Bush 43 and those elections, and I think it was just as polarized. And you could probably say the same thing about Bill Clinton mm -hmm. and, and that time period. Um, I think we maybe got kind of a little bit of a break with the Obama administration, but uh, I didn't view, you know, when Trump was elected, I didn't necessarily view that as a necessarily important election uh, either. So, I, I, you know, it depends on what's at stake. And, you know, I think it's probably just as important as any other election, but not, not the necessarily the most defining election of our lifetime. I don't, I don't think so. I think in this case, more than others, I think the opinion of the incumbent or the candidate seems to be the driving force. Uh, whereas maybe in other elections, you know, policy issues, or agendas, you know, maybe would have gotten a little bit more attention. But, 
you know, I think because of Trump and who he is and what he says and how he acts, I think that is kind of the defining piece of the of the election. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, people are forming their opinions mostly based on, on him as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Not, not his policies. You, do you think it's more of just his kind of the way he presents himself publicly, you think is more of the issue than his policies? I think it is. I, I, you know, I don't, when I watch the news and I watch uh, discussions and analysts, I, I hear them talking more about Trump personally than I do about agendas and policies, particularly, you know, the, the Biden agenda, mm-hmm. which may not be clear as some of the things that Trump, you know, says he's going to do or wants to do or, or. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, think, do you think the country is more polarized now? Um, like, either culturally or in our political discourse? Are we more um, partisan than in the past? And if so, do you think that was, uh, that probably started before Trump? Or do you think Trump has brought us to this point? Or do you think we've always kind of been this partisan and we're romanticizing the past if we say not? I think we have been. It's probably more so than it ever has been by some degree. You know, I think, like I said, I think Bush was extremely polarizing. You know, I remember, you know, through through that time period, you know, trying to always defend Bush on various mm-hmm. things and, mm-hmm. you know, being forced to defend, to defend Trump on various things, which is exhausting. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I think that we are very polarized, but I think we've been polarized for some time, probably more so now than ever. But, you know, I, I, it just seems to me like we've always had these sorts of disagreements and arguments and, you know, extreme positions even. So is there, uh, I would, I would venture to say that's not good. It makes it hard to get things done in Congress and whatnot. Right. Um, is there a solution to that? Or is there a way to reduce that? how do we get people to talk uh, civilly to each other I and, don't constru- know. and constructively? I think you can. I think you and I do it pretty regularly and we have opposing viewpoints on some things. Not everyone can do that, but, you can, uh, you know, I think even if you look at the, our elected officials, you know, I've been watching the Supreme Court hearings, not all of it, but some of it. And, you know, you, you look at the senators and they are, you know, they're friends, you know, when they, when they leave that room, you know, they go to lunch and dinner and, you know, they can talk to each other. And when they're on camera and, you know, they're giving their views, then it's, it's always not so civil. It's, it's like they're enemies, you know, I, I couldn't possibly have anything to do with you because you don't think the way that I do. But in reality, I don't think it is like that. I think that they are perfectly fine with each other. You know, I remember what you brought up. There's a good point with with, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, and when Scalia died, Anthony Scalia died, you know, like they were as ideologically opposed really as you can get on a Supreme court, but but apparently Mm -hmm. we're, we're best friends, you know, great friends. Yeah. Um, but those are two really smart, smart fuckers. I don't know if everybody can keep keep their their emotions and out of their arguments, you know, as well right. as those right. people do. But uh, it'd be nice to have a formula going forward to not to not necessarily everybody agree with each other, but just to disagree with more more respect and in a way that might lead to more productive you know, discussions down the road. Yeah, I think so. And it just floors me sometimes how people can disagree on virtually everything. So Republicans and Democrats disagree on everything. How can that that be? We all live in the same country. We're all kind of 
similar, yeah. you know. We I know. <laughs> necessarily all disagree on everything. How, how, how does that happen? This question I asked Pete sprung from my anecdotal observations of social media and the news. And I don't know if it's true or not, but America seems to be much more divided than I remember in the past. There have always been opposing viewpoints, of course, but the current level of intransigence and vitriol just seems above and beyond the customary political and social disagreements. I wanted to hear how younger folks felt about this, too, so I talked to some students about it. Uh, so what's your name? Magdalene Gordon. And what do you do, Magdalene? I'm currently a student, um, first year college freshman. All right. Do you go full time? I am doing full time. Do you think this is a time of uh, more animosity towards other people, or do you think it's always kind of been this way? Well, it hasn't been to this. Well, it has been to this degree. <laughs> As with the civil, the civil rights movement. I mean, it's just yeah. like it happens. It happens openly, and then it kind of dies down, and then another wave. Like there are certain events that just cause people to like become more expressive in their anger. Like we all have anger. I mean, that's just being human. But whether we choose to like do just outrageous things like riots and, and loot is, you know, it's, it happens sometimes. It doesn't happen in, you know, I think nowadays it's, it's getting to that point where humans are just acting on the anger and we're all upset about each, about what's going on and with each other. And it's becoming more outwardly expressed. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's because people are more angry or what's making them express it more? Is it the availability of media and more outlets that are making us hear it more or are people just getting louder? I mean, the media helps with the, the media enables people to have a voice and whether mm -hmm. that voice is like positive or negative is yes, but um I don't know what causes people. I think it's like stress. It's stress. It's it's the the old underlying effect that we have to. We're so enclosed and we're so we're so like socially distanced because and we're stressed about this pandemic. Sure. So you know, stress can cause anger. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Um. It. It's just like all these burdening things are causing people to react in, in aggressive ways. And the media helps enable that. Alondra Mack is a full-time student at the Florida State College at Jacksonville while also balancing a full-time job. Okay, so with the social media, it's definitely worse, and especially because they're letting presidents have twitter accounts especially <laughs> ignorant ones like the one now but back you know back then a few years ago they didn't have twitter as much as they do now people weren't on 
um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You couldn't watch the debate on Instagram a few years ago right. or a few clips or the funniest moments or mm -hmm. SNL wasn't picking on everyone from the, the debate. Mm -hmm. You know, like mm -hmm. you didn't get that. You didn't get that back then as much as you do now. I think they, they have made like the election a joke because of Trump being in that position for these last four years because when Barack Obama was the president, it wasn't that much of a joke. People didn't have as much to say. People didn't argue. We also didn't use the internet as much and social media as much when he first became president, but people still didn't have, you know, funny things to say about it or people didn't laugh about the election they didn't take it as a joke because of the person who was in that position the person who was running for president the person who became president but now that we have trump as president and he's done all of these things all of these allegations all of these scandals about him now it's like oh um, so you're saying that it could be a combination of the media, heightened media, because in the past maybe people felt similar ways but didn't have the outlet for it. But combine, combined now with also the fact that there is this particular president who has brought a lot of this divisiveness. So it's kind of a combination of the person and the technology, it sounds like. I mean, it, for me, it seemed to, it started to stem from talk radio. R.T. White is a Palm Beach County-based family law attorney. I mean, that's really where, it, for me, seeing if you know, if you want to go back and look at the genesis of where this came from, it was, you know, the Rush Limbaugh effect of, you know, not attacking necessarily the policy, but attacking ad hominem attacks on people and mm -hmm. making fun of people and, and using code words and things of that nature. And, and then that just grew into TV, you know, it, Oh, well they're doing it on the radio. Let's do it on TV. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to have, you know, we're going to have these people on the news give essentially their opinion and they're just fueling the fire on, and it was more on the right side, but now the, you know, the left to some extent does it. Yeah. And you know, it's not about issues. It's just about, sound bites and attacking people and then just Trump made it worse. He just took it to the next degree, the nth degree. And mm -hmm. it nothing that comes out of that man's mouth shocks me. Which is no, sad. Right. Like you'd be like, oh I'm uh, not surprised. Although uh, you're a you're a family law attorney, so there's probably not much surprises you anyways. Like you you probably see everything and hear everything no. in your in your line of work. <laughs> But you, you know, even when you bring it to that, even the civility, I mean, you know, where I'm at, they had to a couple, you know, not that many years ago, they had to, they did a campaign after the got milk, they had a got civility campaign and the judges were wearing these buttons and attorneys were wearing these buttons because things have become so uncivil between people. And I, I just think people are more emboldened when they see someone maybe they look up to doing being un uncivil or ungentlemanly it's just mm -hmm. like it's if it's okay for him to do it then it's okay for me to do it mm -hmm. and do it to my fellow person which is, i don't get it right right so where did that come from why did why did talk radio all of a sudden become 
was it around before and now they just had an outlet or did something happen you think in that that time frame that made it more pressing he just hit on something i mean he something cultural yeah something yeah, cultural yeah, yeah. really mm-hmm. yeah it was just like you know i we want to talk about culture i mean things that howard stern did on the radio we never would have thought of hearing when we were younger right. i would have never been driving with my mom to school listening to the radio <laughs> and some of the, yeah some of the things that howard stern would say on the radio and that just keeps coming in there seems to be no line uh, the line just keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed and yeah. you know now i just sound like an old 50 year old man you know, <laughs> you know complaining but the line the line just keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed and yeah abel salazar has taught for years in the public school system in austin texas i asked him if he thinks our political rhetoric has become more acerbic at the national level and for what he sees day to day i do and there is this assumption that we've always been this divided because you know, I, again, I'm 43 years old and I can, I've voted several times and I've had conversations with my friends in the years past, like, doesn't it feel more hostile today than it did in the nineties and the eighties? And look, the eighties, the eighties, everyone's like, oh, the eighties were great. And they were a good time to grow up in, but low key, there was a lot of crazy shit happening. For sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Reaganomics. Drugs, yeah. Yep. Reaganomics, the, the lack of any like decisive action on the AIDS virus. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were some huge things happening in the eighties, but even so we weren't this hostile towards each other. And I do think that we are in an age where technology allows us to be immediately in each other's faces. You know, the amount of misinformation that is put out there and all all of the age groups have access. You know, I was a middle school teacher for 10 years. So all, they, had, they had cell phones and looking on YouTube and TikTok and everything that they had. So it's not just like it used to be when you watch the TV and that was the news. Now it's inundated. Right. You're inundated with it and all the age groups are. So everybody's angry. Even a 13-year-old is angry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, I do believe that we are we are far more divided today than we have ever been. Hmm. Maybe not. I mean, not ever. I mean, we're not going to go back to the Civil War because clearly we were pretty divided back then. Right. Um, but in your lifetime, yeah. at least. But yeah. I absolutely, absolutely. Um, Trump wins. What do you see for America the next four years? And if Biden wins, what do you see for America the next four years? If Trump wins, I see. Um, Chaos, protests, uh, more damage to civil liberties. I mean, right off the bat, we have conversations about, I mean, we're not even into the election yet, and we're having conversations about the reversal of Roe versus Wade and the reversal of uh, gay gay rights, marriage marriage. equalities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this isn't even, so what's going to happen if he wins? I mean, it's just going to keep going forward and forward and forward in a way that, but frankly, I mean, it's we'll be reversing back to like the fifties or a conservative time before. I mean, really, what it, it's doing is it's taking away years and years and years of civil rights um, movements and people fighting for these rights and people dying for these rights. 
and it's just very cavalierly just saying, well, let's just, we don't need to do that. It's because it's pandering. And I don't even know if Trump believes this stuff, to be honest with you. I think he's just pandering to whoever will, will vote for him and stroke his ego, frankly. So, yeah, I think it's going to be more of the same. And I think it's going to be, uh, it's frightening. Um, yeah. Okay. And if Biden if wins? I, if Biden were to win, you know, it's funny. I've had this conversation with several people. If Biden were to win, I don't know. <laughs> and the reality of that is, I don't know is better than anything that I could think that's coming out of Trump if he were to win. It's not going to get worse. <laughs> well, I don't think it's going to get worse. I don't know what would change with it. I mean, um, you know, I think he would try to calm things down. Yeah. I think he would try to bring a calming effect to what's already happening. And I think actually he could do that. Now, I don't think there's going to, I think we have some, some angry people uh, on both sides and yeah. I don't, you know, I don't see the right, the far right stepping down and stopping their rhetoric anytime soon. But I do think that when, if you take away um, an authority figure like Trump, then it does sort of cut them down a little bit. You know, they don't have mm -hmm. somebody in the White House saying, hey, stand down and right. wait. Right. You know, mm -hmm. um, I think that in itself is is a big yeah. deal. If Trump wins again. Uh, what does that mean for the next four years? Well, if Biden wins, I think the progressive forces have to remain organized. Um, there's um, there's arguments about how to. Uh, relate to the Democratic Party on the left. Uh, there's the clean break. Fuck it. We're done with the Democratic Party. We're going to pursue a third party. Uh, I think people should talk about a progressive party. I know there was a progressive party uh, convention uh, that was held. I think Cornell West was involved in this and some other people. Uh, by the way, they're not advocating voting for a third party in this election. But what they're saying is we need more parties. We need to be organized politically in as many ways as we can. That's one way we can do it. So there's the clean break. Then there's something called the dirty break, uh, <laughs> which is that you use the Democratic Party as much as possible as an instrument to get people elected. And I guess you could say AOC would be an example of that. The squad. Um, and so that's kind of the inside outside uh, approach so so that would be uh so the point is you the main point is if biden wins uh then you put as much pressure if if uh, trump wins uh you know i don't i don't know what strategy you know i mean we i thought there was a strategy of resistance when he won in 2016 um if he wins in 2020 um uh, things could get ugly, you know, and violent, uh, potentially. Uh, now, you know, some people think, well, you know, calling him a fascist, and he doesn't have an ideology. And, you know, in some ways, I'm less concerned with him than I am with his followers, and sort of, especially his followers if he loses the election. I don't think so. You know, I think there's going to be differences in how they may approach certain things. You know, I don't, you know, Biden is talking about raising taxes, and, you know, I'm sure that they will do that in some form, either eliminating the last round of tax cuts or eliminating part of it. You know, he's kind of said a couple different things in that regard. But, 
you know, he's got to be careful uh, not to do it in a, in a way that will harm the economy because they know that that's not going to be good for them. Yeah. I think Barack Obama had the same problem when he took office because he had campaigned pretty strongly against, you know, what we called the Bush tax cuts for the wealthy. Mm-hmm. And that was, it was very part, a very strong part of his campaign. And then when he took office, he realized that he couldn't necessarily reverse that, and he didn't. So I think Biden is going to have to look at the same thing and say, well, you know, we're, we're coming out of coronavirus. The economy is really not doing that well. We've got, you know, 8% unemployment, something around there. And is it, is it the right thing for me to do right now to raise taxes, or do I wait? you know, a couple of years until the economy is more on a stronger footing and then try and implement some of that and then maybe try and spend more money towards the Green New Deal or the other things he wants to do. So it's going to be difficult for him, I think, the same way it was for um, Obama to come in and immediately start making changes. But, you know, we'll see. I, I just don't see that happening. But, you know, if he does have the House and the Senate, which I think he will, I think it, it will be a lot easier for him to do the things that he wants to do. Uh, what happens then? That was kind of a question I was going to ask to you. What happens to America going forward if he wins? And um, what happens to America going forward, do you think, if Biden wins? Moving forward, I think we're just going to – he doesn't have a chance <laughs> to be elected again, at least now constitutionally. Well, um, I think we're gonna, it's going to get worse because he has nothing more after this. He doesn't have to run another race. He will just – yeah, I think things will be worse. I think things will be worse. And I think Biden offers some hope. I mean, look, we're, we're going to be dealing with this. I mean, if you, even on the, the financial end of it, whether it's, whether it's Biden or Trump, you know, we're going to be running a huge, huge deficit with all of the, all of the money that's being spent on coronavirus relief. And the only way to pay that back is through either cutting budgets, which is not going to happen, or raising taxes. So I think it's it's foolish to think that we can't see that there's going to have to be uh, some kind of tax increase. And I don't, I don't know if Trump will do it, and we'll just keep running deficits, and it's going to be a problem in the future. And, you know, Biden's already said he's going to raise taxes on, you know, people making over $400,000. There's going to be – someone's got to pay for it. You can't run deficits forever. So there's got to be – There's how do you pay for it? You have right. to raise taxes because you can't cut – there's no services. What do you – Yeah, right. We can't cut I the library you cut, anymore. <laughs> you, could, you could cut defense spending. I mean, we can go there. That's you know an area that probably can be cut significantly. I asked all my interviewees to look into the crystal ball and – Tell me who they think is going to win the election next week. And to a person, they went with Biden. But they were also a little bit cautious because back in 2016, even late into the game, the polls suggested that Hillary Clinton was going to beat Donald Trump. And it wasn't an overwhelming lead, but they were pretty consistent in the lead. Even my friend Pete, who will not vote for Biden, thinks Biden has it locked up. No, I think it's over. I think Biden will win. No kidding. I think, oh, yeah, I think it's 
pretty clear at this point. I think the Repub- I think the Democrats will have the House and the Senate and the White House. It'll be, it'll be a clean sweep. Hmm. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, if you want to hear them, I will give them to you because I am such an expert, you know, in this field. <laughs> Sure. But I think it's kind of gone back and forth a little bit. I, you know, I think if COVID had not happened, then I think it would have been an easy path to reelection. But, you know, I'm not necessarily opposed to how he handled through the COVID crisis, at least in the beginning. But I think there were two things in my mind that have kind of sealed the deal for him to lose. Number one is George Floyd. I think that probably by itself should have ended his reelection bid. Mm-hmm. And I think it was on its way to doing so because I think he squandered a you know, very good opportunity there. Um, uh, but I think that on the other hand, I think the Democrats squandered an opportunity as well. And it allowed him to kind of get back in the race with his law and order message. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that and now with the white house, him getting infected himself and spreading it through the White House because he's been very belligerent about not wearing the mask and not social distancing and having his rallies. And, you know, he's very stubborn. And, you know, he, for whatever reason, he thought that would work in his benefit by trying to show that, you know, we can get past it and we can return to normal and we don't have to be held hostage. But, you know, when the White House gets infected with it, that kind of just makes them look stupid in my mind. And I think that you really saw the polls shift after that. Once he became infected, everyone else became infected. Then people were like, you know what, he's just, he's not managing it right. You know, he, uh, I'm not as confident as you are about the, the, how it's going to end up, you know, but I remember before the 2016 Hillary Clinton trended pretty highly in the polls too. You know, I think people were kind of surprised when Trump won because poll after poll showed maybe not a huge lead, but she had, you know, so I I don't know the troll, the polls might, might not always be the answer, you know, but yeah, that's um, here's Abel Salazar in Austin, Texas. Okay. So this election is um, more pressing in your mind that as far as you, since you've been paying attention to the political world, um, do you have, a feeling on who's going to win? I would like to say Biden. I, however, <laughs> after 2016, I think it's um, not a wise thing to predict. Um, although I do see the the tide more in favor of Biden than, let's say, Hillary at the time. So I would like to say Biden. And, and I do think that if it goes this way, if it continues to go in the way that it's going with early voting, that Biden has a good chance for sure. However, again, like in the last election, by the end of early voting and during the on the actual day of election, things changed right. and got quite more contentious. So right now I think that Biden has a good chance, yeah. I also think that in 2016, there was a little bit of resting on the laurels. Um, frankly, I don't think that they fought as hard as they could have. I think they were, they were sort of uh, resting on Obama's yeah. uh, presidency. And I think they could have done, fought harder, frankly. Um, most people I've talked to so far have thought that Biden was going to win. Their reasoning is um, they, they think Black Lives Matter and Corona combined to they think will topple Trump. Those were the two issues that seem to come up the most of why Trump might not win re-election. 
Would you agree? I would say I agree. I think the corona has been devastating in the way it's been handled. I mean, I myself uh, had to step down from my job and take a year off. I've taught for 10 years and for personal reasons and family reasons, I needed to take this year off. I mean, that's life changing. You know, I have to start over essentially. And that brings its stress. And that's just me. That's just one person. You know, Uh, I, I see people all over the place who are stressed, uh, depressed, um, confused. Then I started paying attention to the rhetoric coming from the government, the rhetoric coming from the president, and it wasn't trustworthy. And it, it's just destroyed some of these people's lives. Black Lives Matter, I would like to say yes. Okay. I, I don't know if Black Lives Matter is going to be, well, I do actually think it's going to bring out uh, enough people to vote. Okay. I do actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a tough, that's a tough issue for a lot of people. Sure. It is. Yeah. Right. Here's David Jaffe again, sociologist and distinguished faculty award winner at UNF in 2019. I know that was the question. So that's what I'm getting to. So, so at one time I thought Biden was not going to win because he's a terrible candidate and he doesn't excite people. He doesn't mobilize people. They're still not mobilizing people. So I think it's more a um, push from Trump than it is a pull toward Biden. I think that's been the dynamic largely. And I think right now uh, Biden is in much better shape than I thought. So I would say right now, if I had to predict, I would say uh, Biden will win. Uh, What's really really depressing is at this critical moment in this crisis you know we've had all this neoliberalism economic inequality uh, racial strife um, discrimination racism uh, xenophobia uh, you know economic hardship I mean there's been no period like this in, in my lifetime probably your lifetime and look who we have to choose from for president I mean, this is the fucking best we can do in this country. It's, it's a disgrace, if you think about it. It's a disgrace. I'll let R.T. White, attorney down in Palm Beach County, have the last word here before I tie things up. I think the polls, if you look at the polls, I know that the polls last time indicated that Hillary's going to win, but there was still a path for, for, for Trump. I, I think those paths are closed this time. I think some of those states that he carried um, if you look, he's campaigning in Georgia right now, like he's going to Georgia and you would never see a Republican have to go campaign in Georgia this close to an election. I mean, Georgia is just a solid red state. And mm-hmm. for Trump to, you know, I'm going to say waste his time to go to Georgia to do a rally is, you know, it's kind of surprising. It's kind why, of surprising. Do you, why do you think those paths have closed? I just think that I think the country is changing. I think. There's going to be more people out voting. I think if you look at the number of people that have mailed in their ballots already, um, I know in Florida, I was looking at someone's Twitter who's a Democrat and just the number of votes that have been returned and via mail, mm-hmm. I, I, there, it seems to be overwhelmingly in the Democrat favor. And I'm just going to correlate that to a vote for Biden. Okay. So you can't figure out, like, could you could you put your finger on what you think has changed um, from 16 where he had a path to sneak in and he did, but now he doesn't have that path? Can you, do you have any ideas why? I think some of the people that were 
you know, like me, I mean, I'm a Republican. I didn't vote for Trump in 16, but I didn't vote for Hillary either. Mm-hmm. So people like me um, are probably going to take it a little bit more. We got to make sure this guy doesn't get back in. So I'm not going to vote for the Libertarian Party this time. And I'm going to I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. I've had so couple- I think those kind of people that were, you know, I'm going to show, I'm going to show the Republicans are like, I'm going to show my party. Don't put a fool like this up there. I'm not going to vote for him. And if Hillary gets in, it's not my fault because I voted for, you know, Gary Johnson. Okay. But that's not the case now. Not the case now. And yeah. I, I think some of the people that were, some of the people that were more, I'm not voting for Hillary, but I'm not voting for Donald are now just turned into more you know, never, you know, not, not Trump again. Okay. And I think in the beginning, I think a lot of Republicans even were like, we're going to, okay, we'll give him a shot. He's the president. Let's see what happens. But just the, you know, just the way he handled himself as president, I think mm-hmm. disgust a lot of people. And then, you know, with what's happened this year with the way he's handled Corona, the way he's handled black lives matter, the way he's handled, you know, the, the protest, I, I just think people are, I think people are fed up with them. I think we need an adult in there. I'd like to see, <laughs> I'd like to bring, I'd like to see somebody more presidential in, in that office. And I don't know if it's respect is the right word, but I, I still think that we're probably viewed as, you know, a laughing stock around the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's not something that you normally would think of as the United States of America being, you know, while, they, while Europeans or, um, you know, or Russians or, you know, Asian markets, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever don't, don't like our, some of our politics, at least I think all of our presidents have been somewhat res- respected um, around the world and, and carry themselves appropriately. And I, I don't know. I, I just want to say so many bad things about the gentleman that. The gentleman. It's nice that you call him a gentleman at least. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Yeah, he's just an embarrassment. He's an embarrassment. He's an embarrassment to the Republican Party. I mean, I, I just don't think he's good for the country. I, he is. He divides this country. I mean, he is. He is not a uniter. He is a divider. He, you know, stands for so many things that I don't think stand for America. I'm not sure what America really stands for, or what being American really means. I think there's a lot of good and bad tied into what it means to be American, and I think Donald Trump represents more of the bad than the good. On one hand, I understand RT's notion that the president should be more, well, presidential. Historically, the title has come with an expectation of a certain baseline level of diplomacy and decency that Trump seems to lack. On the other hand, these might be romanticized notions of the good old days when America was strong and respected around the world. Truth be told, I'm not sure those days ever really existed. Maybe feared around the world, but respected? I'm not sure. I'd like to thank RT and everyone else who agreed to talk to me for this post. Not sure if it was Confucius or Aristotle or Mark Twain. Someone said only fools talk about politics and religion, but I'm thankful for these folks who gave me their time and insights. Professor David Jaffe also has a blog, and it's called Matters Socioeconomic, and is found at matterssocio-economic.blogspot.com, and I encourage you to check it out. He also has a podcast called Civil Discord with his colleague Rick Phillips, which can be found at civildiscord.podbean.com.
If you'd like to comment on this crazy-ass time we're living through, let me encourage you to sign up for the blog with a username and password, which allows you to comment directly on my posts. And if you'd like to contribute to the cause, you can push the donate button on the homepage. I'm J.R. Woodward. Thanks for listening.